This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, hello, my name is Bill Hendricks. I am the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary, and it's my privilege to welcome you to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And if you're a parent or a grandparent of anyone who is 15 years of age or younger, or you work with that demographic, Perhaps you're a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a youth worker, and you're working with adolescents, young teens, and below, children, this podcast is for you because today we want to talk about Generation Alpha, as it's called. And when we talk about Generation Alpha, of course, we're talking about children, so we all tend to think back to our own childhood, which is fine because these are children, they're going to experience the, the normal things that children experience, except they're also going to experience a world that for many of us, uh, if best, it maybe uh, lived in science fiction when we were growing up and in cartoons, but now it's reality. They're growing up into a world that will be filled with virtual reality and nanotechnology and artificial intelligence and... Uh, there's talk of humans returning to the moon, perhaps even Mars and beyond, uh, and frankly, the increasing intermingling of humans with machines boggles the mind to think about. And that raises a very interesting point for Christ followers and particularly for the church uh, trying to work with families. How do we minister to this Generation Alpha? And to help us really go deep in thinking about that, I am so honored to welcome Janine McNally today, who is the founder and director of uh, Grace for Kids. Grace for Kids exists to produce resources for children's ministries that offer clear presentations and applications of the gospel for Generation Alpha. Janine, welcome to the Table Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, I'm pleased to have you here. I came across a, a resource that you had uh, put together recently that uh, was sent to me, and as soon as I saw it, I said, wow, this lady's really on to something important because I think we have to really think differently now as as we raise this uh, this next generation, you know, I'm an aging baby boomer, we used to worry, oh, you know, here's Gen X coming along, and then, oh, yeah, but there's the millennials, and, and about the time we started to come to grips with maybe how to minister to them, it's like, yeah, but don't forget Gen Z. And now here we are already uh, at, the, at the age of what for many of boomers or grandkids, Gen, Gen, Gen Alpha. Yep. Um, 
I, I, uh, I, I need to just point out to our folks what qualifies you to speak into this. Um, Janine is a DTS grad, by the way. Got her THM here at Dallas Seminary, where she also met her husband, Gary, and uh, she t she's taught high school and worked with youth in Australia, which is where she hails from. Mm -hmm. uh, she and her husband planted a church in New Jersey and then also pastored a church with her husband in Pennsylvania and uh, was a director of children's ministry in Colorado at a church there. Uh, that she and her husband implanted. So she's got this whole background in church planting, but particularly with an emphasis on youth. They now live in Florida. Um, Janine, tell us a little bit about your background. I mentioned you're from Australia, but you know that that uh, uh, that's a long way away from here in Dallas and Texas, where I live. Tell me about a little bit about your background, growing up, how you entered the ministry, and ultimately decided to found Grace for Kids. Oh, um, well, I was, uh, like I said, I was a teacher, high school teacher in Australia. Uh, from the time I was four years old, I wanted to be a teacher. I used to line my teddy bears up and teach them if I couldn't find any kids younger than me. Um, and then at the age of 16, I felt called to ministry. I wasn't sure what that would look like. And in Australia, uh, ministry for females at that point was pretty limited. Right. I wasn't deterred. I, I left my teaching position and attended a small school in Adelaide, Australia, for three years. And I that was where I was exposed to a couple of DTS um, hmm. grads. Uh, and they taught. I had three years of Greek and loved it but wanted to learn Hebrew. I know I'm weird. Uh, and no schools at the time taught Hebrew over there. And they suggested I try DTS. And Dallas Seminary at that point was... In my imagination, it was like, wow, I'm never going to cope. I won't ever see the letter A on a paper again. It just was way up there in the echelon of, of theological education in my head. Anyway, I came over, um, did my THM, met my husband, like you said, and we went from there. We had three kids. Um, teaching uh, children, never in my repertoire. Um, I I remember the day our pastor came to our small group and said they were looking for a children's director. And I felt the Lord tell me, you could do this. Hmm. And I said, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I heard, but you could do this. And I'm like, I'm not looking for a job. And I, and that night I couldn't sleep. The next morning I told Gary and he's like, are you nuts? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, I, I applied, got the job, started three years later um, I, I have to say I loved it. I, I told them at my interview, don't expect I'm going to get on the floor and teach these little rug rats. That's not who I am, but I can recruit, train, organize, and pull together the children's ministry. And in that three years, it grew from about 20 children to about 120. Oh, my gosh. And 20 volunteers. I think at the at the end, we had about 80 committed people. It was really great. It was going really well. And it's funny, when I were in church planting, my husband has a gift of evangelism. And during that time, I got a real passion for evangelism. Uh, like I said, my gifting is teaching. But during those three years, I had a, got a real passion for children, realizing, which I already knew, that that was the time of greatest receptivity, hmm. was during those ages from 4 to 14. And so I finished up there and thought, i got to do something in this field because 
the materials I was getting hold of was they were very unclear on the gospel all the time. And coming from a, a church planting background, we wanted a crystal clear gospel message, especially with kids. So I thought I'm just going to start creating resources for children that incorporate the gospel in everything because we have such little time available to us and I wanted it clear. So that's where it started. Since then, it's kind of beginning to morph into resources for the volunteers to teach the kids and resources for parents. Um, now that I'm doing my doctorate and working on my dissertation, it's definitely going in that direction. So Grace for Kids is having a bit of an identity crisis. It's probably going to end up being grace for everybody. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's where, that's where it came from. That's where it started. Well, I'm very curious to ask uh, if I go back all the way to the, the beginning and you said those first three years, you went into it with a lot of doubt, but three years into it, you said, I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, what was it about teaching children that you discovered was so satisfying for you? I think because they're so receptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I trusted Christ for the first time when I was around four years of age. Uh, when I do surveys in rooms where I'm speaking and I ask people to raise their hands, how many became Christians before the age of 14, nearly everybody puts their hands up. Barna group says 75%, 70%, some say 65 some say, but they also that say that the majority get saved but in that 414 window. Hmm. And if that's the case, if I was Satan trying to stop God from working in the world, what better target to target than that age group and what better thing to target than the gospel message. So for me, that was all of my passion level went through the roof and you may hear it as, as we talk today, it's just like, Oh my gosh, we've got to get them then. You know, we look at the teenagers and say, Oh, look at them. There's so much trouble. Well, I say that's because we didn't reach them when they were younger. Yeah. Instead we're putting all our money and resources towards adults who primarily have already made up their minds. Instead of prioritizing this this window of opportunity that we have, when I was on staff, I found out the week I resigned, by mistake, I came across a paycheck from another staff member and I realized how little they were paying me. Hmm. My budget was minuscule compared to the rest of the departments in the church. You know, what other ministries have to ask for donations of candy at fall festival time? or candy to fill the Easter eggs at the Easter fest. Men don't raise money by buying eggs for their breakfast, you know. Why is it the children's ministry are begging all the time for funds? I think it's because they're not prioritized, and I think that's backwards. I think we should be working first with the kids because that's such a precious, receptive time that we can get them then, and then they've got their entire life to live for the Lord, hopefully. I guess to put it in a business context, it's as if a business was spending eighty uh, percent of its marketing on the on the twenty percent that you know might buy their product or service, and meanwhile the eighty percent that you know they 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 can't get enough of it, uh, mm-hmm. they, they never they never hear about it. So exactly, so exactly. I know you've done massive amounts of research by now uh, on this generation. Uh, and, and just this whole dynamic, I, I'm just curious, have you been able to identify what the factor or factors are that seem to make children 15 and younger 
so receptive to the gospel? I, you know, I let the little children come. Um, it, become like a little child if you want to enter the kingdom. There's something about children. Hmm. I don't know whether it's their uh, ability to trust. Maybe it's their understanding that they're not capable because they're so young. They're not capable of almost anything. They need help. Uh, as we get older, we we uh, think we we know it all. We think we're capable. We can we can do things on our own. We don't need. We're not as dependent. I think that's probably part of it. I mean, there could be some psychological and professional better answers than that, but that that's they just are. Um, they just, you know, if you sit down and say, let me tell you a story, and they're all ears, mm. you know. Um, they just, they, they're ready to learn. They're ready to trust. They're very vulnerable um, to the point of being naive almost, and yet that's the time that is the best, you know, do a survey. How many people have what? What age were you when you when you came to know the Lord? Um, it's it's obvious. Statistics tell us that it's obvious. So, well, yeah. To answer that question for myself, uh, I very very clearly remember uh, I was I was four and a half when I heard the gospel message, and to me, the the. There's a lot more to the story, but I, I, I'll put it this way: um, I, I was a child that uh, nobody ever had to convince was a sinner. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like I knew, I knew that if there was a bad thing to do, I'd find a way to do it. Okay, so I, I, I didn't need much convincing that you know you're a sinner, Bill. Right. Um, what I was more in need of is what's the way out of this thing. Right. And when I heard that, uh, uh, you know, this man Jesus, um, who out of love had had taken my sin and paid for it through his death, that that was somehow – and I didn't understand the theology behind it. Right. I just knew somehow whatever he did there on that cross – Put me into a right standing and a right relationship with God, and that my sins were forgiven; they were covered. I mean, I took it, I bought it. I said, "Man, if that's what it is, that makes sense to me." And I don't understand all the ins and the outs, but I'll, I'll go with it. And and so it was a childlike faith. Yeah. But man, it was a real faith. Oh sure. And um, kids and, don't have a lot of pride. I think that's what stops yeah, us. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't often see a proud child, and they will all readily admit that they do things wrong. Mm. So, you know, um, all three of our kids, four, four and a half, five years old, clearly understood the gospel. Um, for me, I was around that age. It wasn't presented real clearly, so it was ask Jesus into your heart, which I hate that phrase. The Bible doesn't use it. Why yeah. do we? Um, and so I, I was always wondering whether he might have left or he, you know, whether he really didn't come in. Even though I, even though the belief was there, it created confusion and sometimes a lack of assurance. And that's why I get so passionate about making it crystal clear for little kids, so that the assurance comes with it instead of them doubting. Because life ahead is going to be full of enough doubts. You don't need to doubt that one. Um, but all three of our kids, they they knew, and people will say they're too young to understand. I disagree. 
Um, if, if a child understands he's done something wrong and that there's a way out, it's easy for him to think there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this. I'm only little. Um, and if Jesus did it, I'm in, you know. Well, and I think of the <laughs> – we're, we're, we're now talking about grace, but I think of the enormous benefit you give a child to say there's someone, Jesus, who has done something to take care of that, as right. opposed to saying – you're a naughty child. You need to get back in God's good graces. And to do that, you're going to have to start doing this and this and this right. and this, and you, you got to kind of work your way out of it. Right. Doing that, you now put that person in a lifetime of hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously, uh, by now, I'm sure you have any number of different, if I can use the term, strategies or approaches um, that you present the gospel to youngsters, but I'm just curious to hear what some of them are and and some that you've found particularly helpful and effective. Um, yeah, uh, one of the things, so much of the the curriculums out there really bridge off the Romans road. Um, you know the verses that are all in Romans, and then right. get to Romans ten nine and ten, and they use the verse if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And it's that verse is they don't use the other parts of the Romans road. They, they, they zero in on that one. And when I was taking a class at my, at my school, I decided to do a paper on Romans 10, nine and 10. And it it's written to the nation of Israel. And it's talking about temporal judgment, a prophecy out of Joel two. It's not a salvation verse. It's talking about being saved from judgment, not being saved from hell. And yet every curriculum uses it. One day I walked into one of my classrooms and one of the teachers that was in our very vulnerable preteen class, and he was saying, how many of you, raise your hands if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and was raised, and they raised their hands. Oh, yes, but how many of you have confessed with your mouth? And I, my jaw dropped, and I ran back to my office. I grabbed the leader's guide, and I thought, where did he get this from? Mm. Sure enough, it was right there. He had basically read it verbatim, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe it. So from that point on, I started to look at the different materials. That was what propelled me into Grace for Kids. And I thought, I, what am I going to do? I can't do anything about this because I can't write a whole curriculum. I'll create an addendum. So I, I created a training session. We did it with all my all the volunteers, and I said, all right, from now on, in order to be consistent with the way we teach the gospel, we're going to use this approach. Don't know if you've heard of Larry Moyer and Eve Antel. Oh, very much so, yes. Mm -hmm. Bad news and good news. Bad news, I'm a sinner, Romans 3.23. Uh, wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Jesus died, Romans uh, John 5.8, and um, John 3.16. All I have to do is believe. There's four points, four verses, and I taught them the four illustrations. I made up posters which had those four points and the four verses, and I plastered them in all of the classrooms. And I said, from now on, anytime you see anything in any material that teaches the gospel, I want us to be consistent from nursery to preschool all the way through with the same four verses and the same four points to eliminate confusion rather than using phrases like, you know, ask him into your heart, make him Lord of your life, things like that that create issues. And even Romans 10, 9 and 10, even if you disagree with me on the interpretation of that, the very fact that it's unclear 
and ambiguous makes it a bad verse for kids. Why not use John 3.16? No one has a problem with that. Right. So that's what we did. That's that's how I got around any confusing aspects of the gospel, which for me, that was the heart. If we, if we confuse that, what are we doing? It doesn't matter how great our programs are. Uh, if our gospel message is unclear, so that's that's what we did. We we just used bad news and good news. And so you then take sort of that template, if I could use that term, and you train volunteers and Sunday school teachers, whoever. Yep. In that approach to the presentation. Yeah, we practiced in pairs and. And got them to, I, I tested, you know, jokingly tested them on their outline, see if they'd learned it or not. Yeah. And that's that's the gospel outline I use through all my materials so that, again, if a church decides to use one thing and then picks up another thing, it's the same message. Uh, something which I hope and believe that any evangelical Christian wouldn't have a problem with. Yeah. Remove, remove unclear, remove, remove uh, abstract, remove confusion, just make it crystal clear and, con and concrete for these little kids. So obviously the, the, the point here is you, you're not trying to give a kid everything that there is in soteriology and, and hamartiology and, and all the finer points of things that theologians you know write dissertations on. Oh, goodness, you, no. you, You're trying to boil it all down to something a child can understand, but that it's it's pure in the sense that, that you're not introducing ideas that may later on create problems that are unneeded. Yeah. I mean, we all continue to learn. I don't have all of soteriology down. You know, Jesus isn't Lord of my life every day and every moment. You know, right. that's, that's something we grow and the sanctification comes and all that. Right. That's, you know, I focus just on the essentials, just, just salvation. Well, I'm I'm reminded of the passage, you know, in Peter where he talks about the pure milk of the word and and what you're trying to do is just get that really pure initial milk for the child to, to take in. And it also sounds to me, uh, Jenny, like an approach that is highly adaptable. So you may have a Sunday school class and curriculum, you may have a after school Bible yeah. Uh, group, kids group that you're running. It may be a vi vacation Bible school. You know, it, it may be a couple of high school kids that are going to throw a little uh, kids thing in the summer for kids in their neighborhood. I mean, it just, it seems like it's endless where that could be applied. Sure. And I think most of the time, um, most of us haven't rehearsed that. We haven't prepared it well. So when we get into the situation when we're presenting the gospel where I'm, 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 and we tend to fall back on these phrases we may have heard instead of knowing where we're going and being clear. Uh, so that's, I think, I, I created little business card-sized uh, outlines of the gospel, laminated them, told them, put in their wallet anytime that gospel came along, you know, that opportunity, pull it out. Um, yeah. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? 
This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So I'm, I'm curious, as you've, in, in the different uh, experiences that you've had of presenting the gospel to children and, and the, some of the people you've trained presenting it, I'm just curious, what are, what are some of the common questions that kids raise their hand and say, but what about this, or I don't understand that? What are some common questions that come up as kids are, for the, many for the first time, encountering the gospel? Well, like I mentioned before, I didn't get down on the floor and talk to these little fellas. I, I was, it was mainly the adults. I, one mom came up to me and she goes, oh, Janine, I've been doing it wrong all these years. I've been telling my boys to ask Jesus into their heart. And I said, you know what? God uses anything. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, you know, he can use mistakes. He can use unclear. The goal is to be as clear as possible. And, and I think if you're clear, I don't think the kids are going to, misunderstand I, I and you know I just don't and and I, I told them if we present it the same all the way through and they really grabbed onto that consistency thing which is important with children I said by the time they leave children's ministry in fifth grade they should at least have the gospel memorized they should have learned it we can't push them into believing it but at least they'll know it and that was that was the goal um so, yeah, that was my dream for Alpha. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a – again, this may – I should just represent as my opinion, um, so I'm not asking any of our listeners to necessarily buy this uh, hook, line, and sinker. But I'm a big believer that, that uh, God uses uh, – or, or, or that God uh, respects – is a respecter of people's response to whatever light they're given. Right. Um, I have another podcast that I did with a gentleman who was a he was actually a Ku Klux Klan terrorist, oh. and he ended up in a, a prison cell in in solitary confinement for a felony that he had committed. And he he was caught in the midst of attempting to commit which was going to be an assassination. And so there he is, and he's hook, line, and sinker committed to right-wing, you know, nationalistic uh, KKK terrorism. And he's certain that's, that's the truth. But there he is in prison. And I, I, I remember thinking when he told me that, it's like, well, wait a minute, now you're – you're a Christian, and you're you're telling people that that was the wrong way. How did how did you possibly? How did God right. possibly penetrate that? How did the gospel possibly get there? And for him, it was that through good behavior, whatever that means in solitary confinement. I guess he was allowed to check out books from the certain books from the from the prison library, 
And, and the big burning question in his mind was, what is truth? And God used that question. And so he began to read, uh, I think he actually started with Plato, and he worked his way through Plato and then Aristotle and through, a, through an interesting story, he, he ends up wanting to read the Bible. And he reads the Bible, and he gets into John. He's like, this is different. Like, mm-hmm. who is this guy, Jesus? Well, you know, that's a great example to me of whatever light there is there, just the simple question, what is truth? You know, God takes yeah. that, and he, he mm-hmm. woos the person forward. So I can imagine a child that... You know, or or the woman you mentioned said, "Oh, I've been doing this all wrong." You know, I've I've been telling people if you just raise your hand when I pray the prayer, you know, you're in. That's terrible. Well, you know, from one point of view, no, that's probably not the best way to do it. And yet, I've met people who said, "I raised my hand, yep. and I, 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 that's all I knew." And then I met somebody, and they told me more, and they told me more, yep. and then I, and so you're not shaming people that, uh, you know. Are, 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 but what you're trying to get to, it, it sounds like, is, but at some point, here's the essence of what, you know, particularly children need to start to come to grips with because it, it opens up a life-giving uh, stream for them. Mm-hmm. And again, if Satan was to try to mess up our kids, this is the place to do it. So, hmm. in my opinion, um, the best thing to do is to present well. Yes. You know, God can use, the Holy Spirit can use our mistakes, but that's no excuse for not learning, preparing uh, to present well. So, Well, and I, I think in this conversation, and I'd love your input on this, I mean, because of what I, what I sort of hear driving you, obviously, not only just a compassion for people that have never heard about Jesus, and particularly children, and, and therefore... Like like a child, they have their whole life ahead of them. So if they head down the wrong road to begin with, that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. But the gospel is not like sitting in a vacuum. The gospel in this culture has many, many other truth claims. They may not represent themselves as truth claims, but many other representations of what reality is about that are whispering in children's ears through media, through stuff online, through uh, things their parents tell them, particularly through things they hear from peers at school. And those are also vying for this child's belief and commitment. And what you're trying to do, it sounds like, is somewhere in here we've got to let them know there's this truth, which is true truth, mm-hmm. which is the life-giving truth. And so we can't just say, well, I hope that happens someday. You're, you're saying, no, we need to pr- be proactive about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so uh, how, do you, how do you find volunteers and, and uh, uh, people to train? Oh, this is the area that I hadn't figured we were going into. <laughs> I, I went around and, um, well, the first thing I did, because at the time I didn't know everyone in the church, I sat down with a pastor, said, all right, who can I ask? He gave me about 150 names. I emailed all of them, uh, which is the wrong way to recruit. Uh, but I was desperate. I had about 
80 or 90 that said, sure, I'll help. I think they were trying to be nice. We've got to help Janine. She's new in the job. Let's help. I plugged them all in and gradually over time uh, I spoke to the ones who were obviously passionate about kids and I said, would you be in? They, they were all rotating. It was once a month rotation, which is horrible with children. And I, I started asking, would you be willing to serve every week or at least every other week? And gradually as the people said yes to that, I was able to release the others that really didn't want to do it but were doing it because I needed help. So I replaced for every four volunteers, I was able to replace it with one committed person. And, and that's how it went. The, the best way to do it is to go and approach people. That's assuming you know them. Uh, that's assuming you have contact with them. I was immediately thrust into Sunday mornings in the children's department. So I saw, I didn't see any adults anymore. So I had no way to contact any of them without knowing them and I didn't know them. So for me, that worked. Um, and from then it was just build relationships with those people and start to appreciate what they were doing. Uh, I got great, I got great responses, great volunteers. That's great. Well, I, 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 uh, I know that we have many people that listen to this, this podcast. Obviously many people listen to this podcast. You have children in Sunday school in a church. And we also have many because they're alumni of DTS who are in church work. They're pastors, they're youth pastors, they're children's pastors, they're, they're Sunday school teachers, et cetera. Um, and many of them are doing a fantastic job in their children's ministry. But having grown up in the church uh, and dealt with a whole lot of church programs and read Barna statistics like you have and so forth. I'm just all too aware that for far too many churches out there, the children's ministry, sad to say, I want to be polite about this, but it, it for many of them, they're very lackluster. I mean, they, they really amount to not much more than a bit of a babysitting service while the adults have the... The, the church service. Mm -hmm. And we may have a Bible story. We may color some pictures that, you know, have lambs and Jesus and sort of sort of Bible themes in them. You know, we 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 may we may have some content that's that's Bible based, we could say. And yet I've just met too many people who came up through a whole church Sunday school and youth program. They'd never heard the gospel. Wow. Ever. And then and then it's not until they get to college or later on. Uh, I mean, I very clearly remember one person who came to faith uh, in her 20s. And when I asked her about her background, she told me about several churches she'd been a part of at least one of which was a extremely well-known megachurch that's celebrated as a you know they're they're doing great work and I realize there's all kinds of factors and she's got personal responsibility etc. But what shocked me was she basically said that she had never heard those simple truths that you have just articulated anywhere in any of the youth programs or college ministry programs or so forth that she 
she had been a part of. And it seems to me that um, this this simplification of not simplification, but this this the essentials. That's what you're putting to it. The, these essential truths that we got to at least start with. I mean, churches need to come to grips with: Are there places where we're routinely putting these before the children and the young people that we're working with? Is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, there there are so many things I could say to that. As you were talking, my mind was spinning. Um, first thing I would say is that a lot of children's ministry people are not trained biblically or as ministry people, so they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're committed volunteers, and the church says, would you take over the kids' ministry? Sure, why not? They have no idea what they're doing. Um, second thing I would say is a lot of curriculum out there are very wishy-washy. Uh, they're very um, theme-oriented, moralistic. Uh, they do not, pre- like I said, do not present the gospel well, do not present it very often, uh, so, and then between that and families where the children are only coming sporadically, they may miss the one time it's presented. When I was starting, um, I te- I'm teaching at my school now, children's ministry, and when I was prepping for it, I was looking at all the different curriculum out there, did a, a quick survey of them all, and I tried to contact every one of them, the big companies, and said, could you please show me one lesson where you present the gospel? Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to do some research on that. Mm. They, 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 it wasn't just then. Then they would send me a lesson, and it didn't even have the gospel. There was no nothing about Jesus dying on the cross, nothing, and they considered that the gospel message. So you've got curriculum that are, that are not solid. Um, and then some, some churches, unfortunately, do view it as childcare. That is like anathema in the children's ministry world. There's a big T-shirt at the big conference I was just at. Children's ministry is not childcare. Unfortunately, if the leadership see it that's, that way, if they don't fund it well, if, if the pay is low, it's, it's the priority is low, it's not mentioned from up front um, and, and celebrated up front, then that's how it's viewed. And Again, that's what that's what I keep saying. It's like, oh my gosh, the first one there wins. Hmm. We've got to reach them young. We've got to. That's what the schools are trying to do. They're trying to indoctrinate them early. Right. Uh, um, Valerie Bell. She wrote a book, Resilient. She tells a story about two Muslim, two missionary, one of missionaries in a Muslim country, and how the Muslims are offering free education to families, all they have to do is send their children to the mosque for education. They're smart. They know, get them early, get them young. And even if the family is trying to teach them otherwise, education is never neutral. There's secular humanism, um, if not Muslim faith. it's, It's everywhere. And we have to be proactive. We have to include the gospel regularly i i would say pretty much every time we meet for kids it's important so yeah it, it doesn't surprise me that people can go through a church program and not hear it or not understand it or maybe it was unclear um and they got confused well you know one uh, one push i guess you call it a pushback that i've had or at least a counter to to what i've said about Sunday schools 
that I have heard from some churches, and it sounds extraordinarily noble and, in fact, is something I agree with, which is, but Bill, the, the responsibility for discipleship, spiritual formation of children, ultimately, that's the family's responsibility. Yes. Now, the church has a role in assisting the family, helping the parents and, and providing things at church, but we've got, we've got to have our families doing that, which yes. sounds wonderful. I, I couldn't agree more. But then you come to the problem that uh, it, it, if I'd say if that's the case, then we need what Grace for Kids is talking about and, and presenting and training. You need to get the parents trained in what Janine is teaching here. Because oh, yes. I think some of the parents don't know. And I'm sure you've had parents who their kids come home and tell them about it. They're like, this is amazing. i got to find out more. And they contact you or whoever saying, I've never heard this. Tell me more. Yep. Um, and, and like I told you earlier uh, with my dissertation, it started out talking about Generation Alpha as I've, as I've read and thought and, and studied more and looked at Deuteronomy 6. Mm. Obviously, it's the parents' responsibility. In fact, I started my first children's ministry class with, okay, guys, what's the biblical foundation for children's ministry? And I asked that question, and it was quiet, and I said, you're right, there is none. Never does the Bible tell us to take our kids to the temple. Never does it tell us that the, ch the church is going to teach them. It's the parents and the grandparents teaching sons and grandsons. And the problem with that, unfortunately, most families have abdicated that responsibility to the church right. for a number of reasons. One, they feel unqualified. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They have no resources. They feel overwhelmed themselves. Uh, they, they know it's their responsibility, but life has crowded them in to the point where their commitment, spiritual commitment is low or they're just busy or whatever their excuse is, um, so it doesn't get done. Now, that's assuming you've got two believing, committed parents. Yes. In the world today, no. <laughs> there is no nuclear family, hardly. Correct. Uh, it's, it's completely dysfunctional. We've got single-parent homes. We've got parent homes where the father is physically or emotionally absent. Yes. And the fathers are the sole responsibility. If you've looked at statistics, if the dad doesn't attend church, it's, it's actually lower for the mother to attend on her own than it is if she doesn't go. I'm not quite sure of that, that reasoning behind those statistics, except that I believe that it was God that gave the fathers that primary responsibility to leave their, lead their families. And that's not happening. So when you see that, yes, the church needs to train, equip, and encourage the parents. Absolutely. But at the same time, we also need to realize that the world is a mess. So therefore, unfortunately, if the, if the church had done a good job of discipling the parents, children's ministry would be an added extra. Yes. Because the church failed to disciple those parents, now it's a necessity to come alongside to teach the kids what the parents should have been teaching. And how do we stop that cycle from going? We need to you know, head it off at the pass and start training those parents, the ones that at least are there. 
you know, the ones that aren't there, you know, there's not much we can do about that except keep working with the kids. But as I've worked through all this material, I look at children's ministry almost as secondary now to what the trend is, family ministry or equipping parents uh, to do what they should be doing in the first place. And that's a whole different job. Yes. There's posts on Facebook. I'm part of a Facebook group for children's leaders that have over 30,000 leaders in the group. And they all talk about, I've got to try and reach the parents. I've got to try and reach the parents. I'm thinking that's, that, that's not your job. You're already busy enough. You reaching the kids, the church has to provide leadership for these parents, whether it's women's men's ministries, um, a family ministry pastor, whatever it is to, to think that the children's ministry people can do all that. It's, it's just not possible. It's crazy. I had 120 kids. I had 80 volunteers, 120 kids. Maybe that's 40 or 50 families. Mm. So that could be anywhere from 90 to 100 adults plus the volunteers plus the kids, just me. That's the size of a church. To expect one person to lead that kind of a group is unrealistic. So the church has got to step in. It's got to um, wake up to what is going on and what the need is out there. So. Well, and just to further complicate that, uh, you mentioned that several different kinds of families where there's single parents or single moms and 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 homes without fathers and and so forth. Uh, we do have another table podcast uh, in which we interviewed an expert on blended families, and that's a very very uh, for me it was a chilling uh, podcast because this gentleman um, first of all pointed out that 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 if you look at all the different permutations of what we mean by blended families, I mean, there's something like 86 different forms of blended families, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, you – you, and, and the most chilling statistic was that if we look at the sort of, quote, traditional family, which means intact mom, dad, and a couple kids. Right. That now represents about 8% of what are considered family units in the United States. Right. Okay. So when we talk about family ministry, if, that's, if that 8% is what you're thinking, oh, well, that's, that's who I'm supposed to minister to, you're missing the people that are in your church. If you look at that through the lens of the children that you're talking about, it means that the, the boy or the girl that shows up to your, your ministry on a given Sunday, they may actually be a part of four different blended families, mm-hmm. right? And so they're there that Sunday, but the next Sunday they're with family B or family C, which has a whole different worldview and a whole different makeup and a whole different experience on the child. There goes your continuity. There goes your continuity. But if I sort of think about that in light of your appeal, I guess if I had if I only got that kid for one, you know, fifty minute period on a Sunday, whatever else I give them, a I want them to know that there is a God. He's a person. He loves them. He's created them as a person because he wants a relationship with them. But that here's how you can have that relationship with him. And it's very clear, and that child gets that message again and again and again Mm -hmm. to be reinforced. You're preaching my story there. (laughs) 
<laughs> Gush well, for it, yes. Well, Janine, I, I, our time's gone, but I can't tell you enough how appreciative I am of the work that you're doing. Um, again, with Sista Strategic Age, uh, you have a website. How can people reach you? Um, Grace for Kids. Uh, it's, it's the number four and kids with a Z. There, there was, the S was taken. <laughs> so it's Grace for the number four kids. Um, dot, dot yeah. org. Is it dot org? Yeah, I think I, I think I managed to get com as well, but dot org will work. And then if they're interested, that's the book I just released this year. When you see fireflies, it's, it's uh, equipping leaders and parents to minister effectively to generation alpha. So, Excellent. um, that has, I'm a research person, so it's not fluff by any imagination. There's a couple of hundred footnotes. <laughs> so, so it's got a lot of, there's a lot of uh, information, but it's also very practical um, if they're interested. Well, thank you very much. Thanks you for being with us today. This has been so informative, so helpful, so I guess I'd say inspiring and uh, on, a, on a critical need. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for uh, joining us today on the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, I invite you to subscribe to the Table Podcast on whatever service uh, you happen to belong to, and hope always to see you next time on the Table. And for the Table, I'm Bill Hendricks. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.